Well, this morning um, we are going to be um, kind of pulling together this series that we've been on uh, entitled The Upper Room. If you've not been with, with us the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been talking about the upper room. The upper room is that place where Jesus called his, uh, his apostles, the disciples, um, right before his death, crucifixion and death, and then resurrection. And it was uh, right at Passover time. And so they went into the city of Jerusalem, which was a part of the tradition, and they came into this dedicated place, this place set aside, and walked through a few different things together with Jesus. Now, it was something very typical to do at a Passover time. The Passover meal represented and remembered um, God's deliverance of the Israelites out of slavery uh, from Egypt into the promised land. And so they celebrated this Passover every year. But this year was different. I mean, it was very likely that Jesus, in his ministry over the last three and a half years, celebrated this Passover with the apostles. But this one was going to be very, very different. It was going to be unlike no other, although they weren't, they didn't know that. There had been some hints Jesus had given, but it was about the time that he was to carry out his mission fully. And in that, as they gather in the upper room, Jesus teaches, as Jesus always does. And we've looked at a couple different lessons that Jesus taught. He, as they sat and partook of this meal together, Jesus taught in a new way about unity. Because he knew they were going to need unity as they moved forward, particularly after his death. And then we looked at, last week, we spent some time looking at this really selfless act of foot washing that was a very lowly thing. Only servants, only the lowest of lows would be washing others' feet. And yet, at that setting, Jesus came and he washed every one of their feet. And in doing that, Jesus taught us about what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Not only a kingdom of unity, but a kingdom of servanthood. And so, we live it out as we unify in Jesus. We live it out as we serve in Jesus' names and Jesus' name. And I, I challenged each of us last week to think about being modern-day foot washers. What does that look like? I heard a few stories this week. People shared, um, not, um, not in a proud way, but in an opportunity um, to not only celebrate who Jesus was, but to take the opportunity with the people they're influenced by and tell them why Jesus made a difference, has made a difference, continues to make a difference in their lives. So we come upon um, this kind of final section of the upper room. And it is what we know as communion. It's what we know as, um, uh, as the Lord's Supper. Uh, it was a time, again, that they knew elements of this were going to take place. But Jesus, in this act of taking a loaf of bread and a cup, both very common elements of this meal. So nothing was unusual about that until Jesus started to speak about it. And he started to talk about that he was going to redefine, was redefining all that bread and cup meant. And so he begins teaching a lesson on this idea of covenant. 
Now, covenant is one of those words you may not hear much of. I mean, we talk about it in Christian circles. Um, You may hear of it uh, most specifically as people talk about a marriage covenant. You know, we do... We, we have marriage license and all the things we do um, within the society, but ultimately, it is God who we call upon to recognize our union uh, with, with another, with a man and a woman, to celebrate the covenant that they make together before God. So a marriage covenant, it's spoken of throughout Scripture. Uh, Ephesians 5 um, is, is a common place for that to be spoken of, but elsewhere. But the idea of covenant is this. The idea of covenant, it's, it's kind of a contract, but it's not really a contract. It is a mutual agreement, which is similar to contract, but it's a mutual agreement where each person not just in a legal way, not just in, okay, you do this and I'll do this, but it's built on things like relationship. You know, we can sign a contract to buy a new home, and sometimes there's very little relationship involved. It's just a legal document and a legal process. It's necessary in our culture and society. That's all good. But the thing about covenant that is different is covenant is based on a mutual agreement in relationship. You don't covenant with a person that you don't have a relationship with. You, you would never do that in a marriage if you want that marriage to succeed. But what you do in covenant is that you agree. In fact, you come together and agree on principles, not just for like a, a, a contract to buy a house where you just agree on a price. Yeah, there's other things you agree on so everybody stays happy and nobody fights. But there are deeper relational principles in covenant where you commit to one, or one another. You come together. There are certain things when you buy a house you don't have to agree upon because it has nothing to do with the house. It's different with covenant. Because covenant and relationship of covenant involves all that we are, all that we represent, all that we live for. And so Jesus introduces, and he uses this in Luke 22, verse 20. Uh, I believe it will be on the screen. Luke 22, verse 20. You see him talk about this idea of new covenant. So they knew covenant in terms of what God established them with the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. Okay, they came out of Egypt. He... Uh, He rescued them from slavery, and then he took them to Mount Sinai on their way to the promised land, and the Ten Commandments were read. You know, Moses went up the hill, and and God spoke those. He wrote them down, etched them into tablets, came down, reported them to people, as well as some bumps in the road with the Israelites, not knowing and learning how to commit to God. There was a covenant established. In fact, Exodus 24.8 says this, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So right there, Mount Sinai, they had been rescued, delivered from Egypt, out of slavery. A covenant was established. You read in the the Old Testament all of the time. You read, um, you will be my people, God said, and I will be your God covenant, relational covenant, not just a contract. In other words, we have to commit to it. Covenant is very much about what we commit to. 
we know, all know in our society, commitment is a challenging thing. So we can either commit to nothing or we try to commit to everything, which essentially means we don't commit to much of anything beyond shallow commitments. And so here we are in the upper room, and Jesus has already stirred some things up, preparing the apostles for kingdom living when he goes to be with the Father. And then he says, I want to establish, I will establish a new covenant. Hidden in those words, uh, kind of, but it's there, is the idea, it's better. I'm not going to erase the old. I'm not going to get rid of the old. I'm going to build on the old. Remember we read in the Sermon on the Mount when we studied is that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to build upon the law, improve the law. And so here we are. They're setting and they have a cup with wine. They have bread. And Jesus begins to help them understand as he talks about what each of these represent. Look with me in Matthew 26, verse 26, and you'll find the account of the upper room in all uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, uh, the Synoptic Gospels, and uh, they're, they're fairly similar, but each of them, again, as we've talked, are looking at, at, at writing uh, to their audience in such a way. But the similarities we continue to see in it is that we recognize that Jesus continues to talk about this new covenant. And so what he says in verse 26 of chapter 26, Jesus says, while they were eating, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. See, eating the bread was not... And uh, that was a very normal thing at Passover. Bread was a common part of any meal. But the unleavened bread, the bread without yeast, in other words, really flat. It didn't rise. And it represented much of what Passover was about. And in that, now Jesus says, take and eat, this is my body. You can only imagine. And to, to those who maybe are hearing this story for the first time, it's like, ooh, this is weird. As we're in the church and we participate in communion, we kind of lose sight of that, how weird this sounds. Okay, is there something about human sacrifice here? I mean, you can understand why people may go there. Oh no, that's not at all where Jesus is headed. It's a symbol. It's a symbol and it represents the sacrifice that Jesus made. It represents that Jesus' body was broke, about to be broken, and at this time was about to happen on the cross. He was beaten. He was whipped. And the reason for all of that and God's great mission and plan is that Jesus would bear our sin. Scripture tells us over and over is that when we sin against God, there is penalty for that. And so Jesus, as the perfect sinless one, he took on our sin. And so when he says, take and eat, this is my body broken. What he means is that if you believe that I came to take your sin, you eat this as a statement, an act of belief and remembrance that my body was broken for you. For anyone who sins, which includes all of humanity. It's a notion of humility. It's a notion that this this son of 
God and Son of Man who brought himself lowly and said, I will make myself like a human instead of exercising my divine power, my divinity. I'm going to set that aside for the moment so that I can bear your sins. And so when we break the bread, we're remembering that Jesus took our sin, which means that he could then pay the penalty. Look at 1 Peter 2.24. He himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You see, if we never recognize our sinfulness, we will never be made made right with God because our sinfulness is what keeps us from God. It creates that chasm that incredible gap that cannot be bridged in any other way except by Jesus. That is the only way. And so, why do we eat? To recognize our brokenness. Why do we do this multiple times a year? Some churches celebrate it almost every week. And it is a celebration. It's a celebration of what Jesus has done. But it's a recognition to say, Jesus died for me. It's a recognition that we are a broken people. And without God, without dependence on God, we will never be who God created us to be. We will be sinful, lonely, desperate, hungry, thirsty people. And there's illusions all through this of bread. Jesus being the bread of life. I mean, we eat bread. It meets a physical hunger need in us, right? The layers on this are incredible because what Jesus is doing and saying, take this bread and remember me, what he's saying is, I am the bread of life. Your food will only sustain you physically, but my food will sustain you eternally. And so you must, at some point, surrender your life to me if you want to eat of the bread. We don't celebrate communion for anybody who wants to come in unless they're a believer in Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, some look at communion in such a way that there are no um, really understanding, I would call them boundaries, to what it means to take communion. And as we'll talk in a moment, is that you really, um, if, if you believe that you can come and take communion without being a Christ follower, you basically take the work of Jesus on the cross and count it for nothing. Jesus didn't die so everybody could take communion. Jesus died so that those who would surrender their lives to him could take communion and live in him. Now, the invitation's open to everybody. Everybody is invited. But brokenness, surrender, is what's required. You will never understand what Jesus has done for you if you don't at first realize how broken you are without him. See, it's a promise of deliverance. The new covenant is about deliverance that was once defined from a people, Egypt. Now it is a deliverance. The new covenant is a deliverance from sin. A deliverance out of death. And so when Jesus says, take and eat, new covenant is all about the fact that I rescued you once from a people, a land. Now I'm going to rescue you from yourself, your sin, 
and the result of that, which is death. So I encourage you this morning, first of all, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, is that you would surrender your life to him and realize how broken that you are without him. For those of us who will be celebrating communion as that bread is torn off and broken, is that you consider how perhaps in another way you need to surrender your life to him. Perhaps you've done that already. Praise God for that. But that's the life of walking with Jesus on this earth, isn't it? Over and over saying, I surrender to you, I surrender to you. I watched, so many of you knew Anna more than I knew Anna, but I knew Anna for about 20 years. Anna was not perfect. None of us are. But one of the things I cherished about Anna, and I know Pastor Stan could say the same thing, in these final years of her life, she would often say, I'm just not sure why the Lord has me here. I know she said that to Pastor Josh and perhaps to many of you as well. And I, and I said, Anna, I know why he has you here. He has you here because he's not done with you. And you have an incredible role in the life of your church. And you know her physical inabilities the last few years kept her from being here on Sunday morning. And it broke her heart. She, she, it so broke her heart that she couldn't be here very much. But every time I was with her, and I think it's true of most people that I've spoken to, is that you could pray for Anna, and Anna would turn around and say, I'm going to pray for you. When Anna said she was going to pray for you, she prayed for you. Because she had surrendered her life over and over to God. Her life was a demonstration of that. And so she carried that to others. But the other element here is this cup. This cup. And again, if you remember, I said in uh, the last couple of weeks is that during the Passover feast, there were typically four times the cup was drank from. Often it was the cup. Each of them had their own cup. Once in a while, the host would extend his cup to someone special, someone he wanted to acknowledge in the group sharing the Passover, in the family. So either the father or the host. And if you remember, is what Jesus did is he said, before this point, he gave the cup and he said, take this and divide it among all of you. So what Jesus was saying is that... I. And followed up with, they didn't know what the point is, what he was saying is, I'm going to pour my life out for you, and I want every one of you, every one of you, there's enough for all of you. So set your own cups down, surrender, and take my cup. And, and so, then he says, in Matthew 26, verse 27 and 28, a little later, he took the cup, gave thanks, offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant, Luke says new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so the, the bread represents the brokenness, the death, the bearing of the sins. What the wine or the juice represents is that his death paid the penalty of our sins. You see, any of us could say, well, I will die for you. But there is only one who lived a perfect life that could actually die and pay for our sins. And that's Jesus Christ. 
And so when Jesus hands this cup around and he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. And what he's essentially doing is redefining the old covenant. The old covenant that was taken care of by sacrifices of animal after animal after animal. He says, once and for all, my sacrifice, my blood, which this represents, we're not actually drinking his blood. Again, it's symbolic. Look at Hebrews 9, 25 and 26. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, referring to the Old Testament animal sacrifice. The way the high priest enters the most holy place very Year or excuse me, every year with blood that is not his own. And if you skip to the latter verse, part of verse 26, but he has appeared, that's Jesus, once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. See, his sacrifice is what allows us to be right with God. But the only way that we can be right with God is to say, Jesus, I believe in your sacrifice. I believe that what you did was not just to gain attention, was not just to be known as a good man, but to be known as the Savior. And so when we come and you drink, when I drink, as believers in Jesus Christ, what we begin to understand in drinking it is that Jesus' blood sealed it all. We don't need to offer sacrifice after sacrifice. What we need to do is we need to reconcile with God by believing in this payment. I encourage us this morning as you take a, as you dip the bread into the cup, as a believer in Jesus Christ, is that you consider the reconciliation that Jesus brought by bleeding, dying on the cross. Now we can take that and we can walk away and say, wow, isn't that really good? That yeah, is very good. What do we do with that? We can say we believe it. We can celebrate it and do the act. What I believe Jesus wants us to do as we taste of that juice is to say, am I not reconciled with someone else? You see, Jesus reconciled us with God. Now we need to be reconciled not only with God but with others. Perhaps there's someone in your life that you're not reconciled with. The new covenant, the living in the new covenant, says, Jesus reconciled me to God. Now I want to reconcile to others. The bread, the cup. It's a new covenant. It's taken the old and it's built upon it. And lastly, with this idea of The cup is the promise of his presence. You see, when Jesus died and then was raised again, the promise of his presence, his Holy Spirit in us, can go wherever we go. We don't have to go to the tabernacle. We don't have to come into this sanctuary to meet with God. What Jesus did on the cross was abolished all of that in such a way to say, no, there is a new and better way. I'm actually going to give you my presence. My presence is going to live, is going to live inside you and lead you. And so I want us to celebrate the presence of Jesus in us as believers. I'm going to invite Larry 
and Sarah. I about said Angie, but it's Sarah. Angie is his wife. To come up as we prepare for communion. Prepare to take the bread and the cup. And I want to share a passage of scripture with you. Because one of the things Paul speaks about in Corinthians. In his letter to the Corinthians. Is he, he was condemning them. Because they were taking and making a mockery of the bread and the cup. Everything that Jesus spoke about. They were speaking against. By the way they were taking the, the cup. They would just come do it. And they would run through it. They would fight to be the first in line. I mean on and on and on. And what Paul says What Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, is this. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, and unworthy means that you don't realize fully what it means. You're not doing it as a statement of belief. You're doing it just to do it. Or you're doing it and not recognizing your own sinfulness says, we'll be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Essentially, what this passage of Scripture is saying is that we should always confess our sins before we come. Because we don't want to mock, make a joke out of what Jesus has really done. So I'm going to give us a few moments. And during those moments, uh, those who will be serving with me, we will pray over the elements. And then at that point, I will invite you to either come down this aisle or this aisle. There will be a station right here uh, and a station right here. And at those stations, the first thing that you'll be asked to do, we use the method of intinction, which is tearing off a piece of bread. And um, as you do that, ask yourself, any areas of my life I've not surrendered? And then as you take that bread and then you dip it in the cup, recognizing the new covenant that Jesus' blood was poured out and paid for your sins, reconciled you. Who perhaps are you not reconciled with? But in all of that, I pray that as we spend time, and if you'd like to at the altar, you're more than welcome to do that. Then after you dip the bread in the cup, then to partake of that. For anyone here with young children, um, if your children have not accepted Jesus Christ, we want to pray over them. Uh, We will just need you to make us aware of that as you come forward, and we can pray over them. Because we believe that communion is for those who've made a commitment to Jesus Christ. If you've not made a commitment to Jesus Christ, then I encourage you during this time to do so. And uh, we would be glad to pray with you during that. So, I'm going to lead us into a time of confession and examination on your own. And then when we're ready, I will invite you to come forward. So, if you would pray with me. Father, as we enter into a time of confessing our sins before you, God, I would ask that you would use this to remind us of your healing and restoration, your deliverance, your presence. And then as we partake, God, may you continue to reveal for us what you've done through your son, Jesus. I'm going to invite those who are serving with me to come forward now.